All right, let's get out to the uh, Smart Rain guest line. It's no mystery. Utah is in an extreme drought. That is why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation smartly. Find out more at smartrain.net. He writes for The Athletic. He's our friend Chris Camerani with us here on The Big Show. What's going on, Chris? Hey, guys. How are we doing? Hey, we're doing great. We were just talking about how uh, there's a bunch of stuff uh, to get to with you, but uh, uh, good idea, going to a bar and watching a jazz game with a bunch of uh, intoxicated fans. I like it. Uh, there's a very long story that would be really good for radio, but it would take up too much time of your show. So I'll just give you the abbreviated version. And the abbreviated version is I was sitting at the bar with my notepad taking notes, not partaking in anything. And by the time I left to get on the Zoom, um, a friend of mine who was a little too intoxicated was so mad that he gave me a goodbye hug that ruptured cartilage in my rib cage. Oh, so, <laughs> the ang- the anger is real, gentlemen. Was it was it Hans Olsen? It was not Hans. I think if Hans would have given me a hug, I would have been dead. I would have had an obit in the Tribune. He's done that before, broken some ribs I, with a hug. I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, give us your thoughts on the Jazz, Chris. And, uh, you know, Gordon and I were talking the other day, you know, it's one thing to to lose a series. It's one thing to lose a game. But the way they lost that series and the way they lost game six particularly is just brutal. I'm sure those fans were extra grumpy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can start out from a macro perspective. And the macro perspective is I think the Jazz have to look inward at their roster construction and decide – is it worth dedicating nearly 40% of your cap to a non-offensive big man in Rudy Gobert? I know everything that he does is such a game changer. He's won the defensive player of the year three times in a row, or not three out of the last four years. But uh, the reality is, is in the postseason, if you have the personnel, you can scheme Rudy Gobert off the floor. Now, I, I think there is a much longer, larger part of this conversation where, you know, folks were mad that Terrence Mann was wide open for so many corner threes in game six. But the reason why is because nobody on that roster could stay in front of anybody. I mean, you're having guys who couldn't stay in front of Patrick Beverly or, you know, Rajon Rondo, two guys that are close to their mid-30s, if not already there. So, um from a big picture perspective, I, I, I wonder what the front office does because I think after last year, the consensus was the Jazz have to figure out how to survive the non-Rudy minutes. They brought back Derek Favors, a fan favorite, but a guy who clearly doesn't have the same you know bounce that he did when he was younger when he was here. I mean, let's be honest. It's a, a player like like Derek Favors made his money for being a, like the most athletic big guy on the floor for a long time, but he's not that anymore. And maybe he was dealing with some nagging injuries. Um, but to me, the the story of how the Jazz have to go forward this offseason is can they figure out a way to be able to match a team small ball the way the Clippers threw out, you know, that style against the Jazz. And um, I don't think the Jazz can do that right now with the roster that they have set up. And they have a lot of money that's already tied up, and we haven't even gotten to the Mike Conley conversation of this all. So um, I think a lot of people assume that the Jazz are going to run it back. But um, listen, if if you're a guy like Ryan Smith, if you're a guy who spent an insane amount of money to buy your childhood sports team, and you're this close, and you know that in order to keep a guy like Donovan Mitchell around and happy – 
you're going to have to go all in sooner or later. I just wonder, like, is the first offseason that Ryan Smith is in charge, is that the one where you conceivably go all in? I don't know. We still have to wait and see how, you know, the next, you know, six weeks pan out, especially once the playoffs are over. So, Chris, what do you do with Mike Conley? You bring him back. I mean, because otherwise your, your, you know, your salary cap construction is so tied up with existing players on the books that I don't think you can be a player in, like, the sign-and-trade market. And, and Mike isn't going to get the kind of deal that he got in Memphis when he was getting, like, close to $32, 33000000 million a year. It's going to be lower than that. Uh, but even <laughs> the reality is, is every good team in the league – is going to want to sign Mike Conley. I mean, look at some of the really, you know, heavyweight hitters that went out early that didn't have much point guard play. Like, do you think a team like the Lakers could have used Mike Conley this year? I mean, I know pe- I know people like Dennis Schroeder, but the- there are teams out there that would gladly take Mike Conley and-, and offer him money to give him a shot to chase a ring. So I think the Jazz have to because – if you can't, if you don't bring him back, I, I just think it's optics for Donovan Mitchell, guys. We saw Donovan make that leap. He is now—I um, hate this phrase—a bona fide superstar. He can be a number one guy and, and carry you deep into the postseason if he's healthy. And the way you have to keep him around long term, the way you need to make sure that super max deal lasts more than three and a half, four years is to prove to him that you're willing to spend money and put the right pieces around him so you guys can contend for a championship. So kind of with that in mind, Chris, do you expect a, a, a trade, a move of a, you know, a, a rotational piece? Uh, I just don't know. I mean, the it's tough because who do you trade? Like, do you trade Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, uh, you know, one of your prize free agent acquisitions i mean let's be honest we don't get a lot of those around here do you do you do you trade a guy that you know has been beaten up a little bit the first two years in a jazz uniform but has proven that he can be the piece that the jazz need it, it, it's really weird guys i'm sure you you've talked about this on your show like it, it's weird because this jazz team went from three or four years ago not being able to hit water if they fell out of a boat and that was their downfall because they were too defensive-minded. They weren't dynamic enough offensively. And then you kind of flip the, the script, so to speak, and you bring in Boyan Bogdanovich, you bring in Jordan Clarkson, and um, different issues persist, but they are issues that persist nonetheless. So um, it, I think that the easiest part of constructing a good roster in the NBA is getting like 75% there. I think the hardest part is getting the last 25%. And you see that with even a lot of these super teams. I mean, let's be honest. Let's let's talk about it. It took the Clippers a while to figure out how they can build around guys like Kawhi and Paul George. It, the Brooklyn Nets learned um, painstakingly so that just because you can get a bunch of superstars together, and if they can't stay healthy, you're not a you're not a lock to even get to the conference finals. So I don't know who on the Jazz roster would be intriguing to other teams. Uh, my guess would be there's one maybe I don't want to say Rudy Gobert is untouchable from a trade perspective, but I think to me, there's one guy on that roster that is untouchable at the moment and it's Donovan Mitchell. And you just have to figure out how to maximize his potential because he is at the prime of his career. I mean, this, he's not even at the prime. He's at the, he's at the starting point still. And he's just beginning his ascent. 
It's just a matter of finding the right pieces to fit around him so that when you come across teams like the Clippers that can throw you a haymaker, you can swing back. So, Chris, we have this great divide then in the decision-making process, and you've articulated both sides of it. Well, on one side, you have Donovan Mitchell, who is all about winning a championship, and you've got to do everything you can to keep him pleased, right? And on the other hand, you had the best record in the league this past year, not quite good enough in order to go through the postseason, but certainly nothing to be embarrassed about. And with the money situation the way it is, there, there you are. So what, which way do you end up leaning? Yeah, I, I think I will disagree slightly in that the manner of the exit that the Jazz had from this postseason was so bad and will leave such a sour taste in the, in the mouths of the people within that organization and within the fan base that I think like this could be a potentially galvanizing moment where you, you maybe have to try to go to a certain amount of lengths to really switch it up. Because, I mean, we we kind of have a track record now, guys, of, um, you know, the Jazz blowing a 3-1 lead against Denver in the bubble last year, the Jazz blowing a 2-0 lead to the Clippers, a Clippers team that didn't play with Kawhi Leonard, a two-times finals MVP in the last two games. You're up 22 points on the road, and the – the home team with a with a guy named Terrence Mann, who was like a second-round pick, and Patrick Beverly, who wasn't even playing that much, they made up 22 points in a matter of like nine minutes. So I, I I understand that like it's 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 hard to balance not you know falling victim to the moment, but the reality is is the moments that matter most are in the postseason, and that's what people remember. Um, I, the Jazz weren't even in that many close games this year in the regular season. The Jazz, Jazz fans aren't going to remember when the Bucks came to town and the Jazz stomped Giannis and Chris Middleton. Nobody's going to remember that. The Jazz fans are going to remember seeing Jordan Clarkson go for 17 straight points in the second quarter. You know, they're making open shot after open shot. Everything's hunky-dory. And within an eight- to nine-minute span, the cascade, uh, the avalanche begins, and the Jazz just weren't able to make it up. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I I think there are so many layers to this conversation that, you know, folks in the front office and the coaching staff, the ownership group, they have to figure out, you know, who they want to be going forward because they've proven that with kind of this current core, they're good enough. But as you guys know, it's, it's, it's not easy to be good enough in the NBA, but it's not hard. It's hard to be great in the NBA, and the Jazz haven't been there in 23 years. And I think Jazz... Jazz fandom was, you know, Jazz Nation was looking forward to this team being, you know, the uh, the second coming, so to speak, of, of the late 90s. And, you know, maybe if, if Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley are able to play that series fully healthy, I think they win. But I think that the defensive um, deficiencies were going to rear their head eventually one way or the other. I mean, the, the, the fact that the Jazz were just so poor defensively and that, I'm not talking about Rudy Gobert specifically. I'm talking about everybody. The fact that they couldn't even stop a simple Patrick Beverly or Terrence Mann drive, that was going to get, you know, blown up sooner or later by, by whether it was the Suns in the conference finals or, you know, imagine having to, having to guard Giannis and Chris Middleton or Trey Young, whatever. Um, so that's just a long-winded way of saying I think the – the decisions that the Jazz have to make are going to be hard, and I think a lot of folks will assume that they're going to run it back because um, I think 
conventional wisdom points to that, but I don't know. I, I just think like you have to look at this and say like, have has this version of the Jazz reached its ceiling? Yeah, I mean the Jazz need defensive length and athleticism, just like you were describing there. That's what they need, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's that's the hardest thing to come by because every team in the league is either you know fixating on a couple guys in the draft that they love that they know that will fit in their system, but. Uh, the NBA isn't so unique that most of these, you know, talented young men coming out of college or the G League or from overseas can't fit into multiple systems. So everybody is looking for the same thing, and it's been like this for a while. It's been like this since like LeBron really took over as as the point forward. Like who who can LeBron surround himself with as a bunch of three and D guys to to get to uh, a finals and see what happens? Um, but it, that's going to be hard because. Um, are, are, is the Jazz a destination place now? Like, is is the, is the Dwayne Wade becoming part of the ownership group? Is that going to, you know, bear some fruit on that end? Is are are, you know, guys ch- chasing a championship going to be intrigued with the prospect of playing alongside Donovan Mitchell? Um, I think on the surface you can say yeah, but the reality is is we're still battling kind of these stereotypes of, you know, what this market is, and as you guys know, we. We continue to uh, have this very terrible thing rear its ugly head too often. And I think this is part of a conversation that, um, you know, probably is had within the inner circles of players in the NBA. Chris, I noticed uh, I I saw you did a piece on uh, an American gymnast. Are you going to be doing uh, Olympic stuff this year? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, I won't be going to Tokyo, but no one is other than the athletes. So. Um, yeah, just with my experience, having covered the last couple of games for the Tribune when I was there, my, you know, editors at the athletic asked if I'd be willing to, to pinch it. So I'll be kind of all over the place. Um, be helping out with gymnastics. I'm taking on a lot of, um, the, the new additions to, to the Olympics, like surfing and skateboarding, uh, rock climbing, you know, all of this, all of the sports that you guys know, I'm really good at myself. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm going to be able to bring that, you know, that insightful first person narrative to my readership. Do you think, Chris, the Olympics will be as viewed as ever, even with some of the stuff that's uh, troubles that they uh, mm-hmm. have to deal with? <sighs> that's a good question, Gordon. I think I don't know if it'll be as viewed as ever. I don't think it'll be a flop just because it's going to be in that sweet spot where fans are going to be jonesing for something other than the dog days of Major League Baseball. It'll be right after the finals. It'll be before college football starts. Um, I, th- I think the uh, the atmosphere not being there is a bummer for the player or for the athletes first and foremost, but for the viewers as well. Um, but it's it's something that we we've never seen, and it's something we probably will never see again in our lifetime is, having an Olympics go on in such dire circumstances, you know, COVID numbers aren't great in Japan. I think I saw the other day on the news that they have a 6% of their total population vaccinated right now with the games scheduled to start in four weeks. So it's a bummer all around. I don't think there's a right answer, but I know that when you have billions of dollars tied up in advertising and revenue and sponsorships, money always wins out. 
Well, Chris, thank you. For, oh, actually, a huge question for you. Let, let's throw that in there. Why not? We've got you on the air. All right. What's uh, what storyline numero uno going into fall mm-hmm. camp in your mind? Uh, am, am I going to be, you know, raked over the coals if I say it's the quarterback? <laughs> <Because> <laughs> no, it's, it often it's is, always, right? It, it always is. It's always <laughs> going to be this. Under Kyle Whittingham, for me, it's always going to be, can they have a game-changing quarterback that they can pair with the dominant defense? Because in the 11 years in the Pac-12, they've had one guy who was able to do it, and it was a guy that had the talent but was hurt too often, and that was Tyler Huntley, and and it was 2019. So um, I know a lot of folks pretend like they know how Charlie Brewer is going to look in a Utah uniform, even though nobody's seen anything other than the, the coaching staff and the players up there, so I'm not going to pontificate on the um, seven-on-seven drills like so many folks in this market pretend to do. I will just say that the youths brought in a guy that has close to, if not over 10,000 yards of career offense at Baylor and a guy that's been in a Big 12 championship and won big-time games. And I think even though they're a young roster, this Utah team is constructed to compete uh, for the whole thing. I think they have uh, the depth, the talent, and, you know, I, the, the other thing, be, I, I'll wrap it up because I know you guys got to get to break, is Kyle Whittingham's done a great job in the transfer portal. They've gone out and got guys that can be difference makers. So, um, yeah, I, I, for me, it's, I'm sure, you know, Gordon's going to be writing multiple columns, so I, I, I'm not going to expect any royalties. But the, the, the storyline for me is can the quarterback position take Utah over the top? And so I guess my last question for you on that, Chris, is what is it about Kyle that causes this quarterback disconnect? Is it the fact that he just loves to run the football? Is it because he impresses upon his quarterbacks, do not turn the ball over, and then the quarterback ends up somewhat paralyzed? What? <laughs> or have they just not had the talent necessary to flourish in that at that position? What do you think? I think it's pretty much three to four things. First and foremost, I don't think it's always the quarterback's fault. I think Utah has done a subpar job at recruiting difference makers on the outside. And if you don't have guys that can get open as a quarterback, you're not going to be able to throw the ball very well. So I think uh, fans who have you know, been quick to judge the likes of Travis Wilson and, oh, man, I'd age myself. Who was that? Uh, Troy Williams. Yeah. These guys over the years. Um, Utah just hasn't had enough talent on the outside. So I think for me, that's a very underrated aspect of this. I also think that the fact that Utah recruits really good running backs and that their running game is so dominant plays, plays a role in it. But I think um, the one thing we didn't talk about is the fact that I think for nine or ten years, Utah was having a new OC every year. So that the continuity was not there, um, but you you know Utah and Kyle have their guy in Andy Ludwig, so the continuity is there. And like I said, they went into the portal and got some guys that you know were highly sought after recruits at places like UCLA and SC and Oklahoma. So um, it's all shaping up, but I don't know. I think we've all seen this before. It's it's a matter of like. Can this can this offense you know split the load? Because the defense, as we saw last year, 
as young as it is, is talented enough to carry the, to carry the load themselves. But cer- sooner or later, you need a quarterback to get the ball with three and a half minutes left, whether it's at Rice Stadium or on the road, and say, like, let's go win this and actually do it. Well, Chris, thank you very much for jumping on with us. We always look forward to it. Thank you. Hey, anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Chris. Chris Camerani writes for The Athletic, does a great job, covers the Utes, but uh, obviously uh, wrote some stuff about the Jazz, and that's cool. They're having him do Olympic stuff, too. He agrees with you on the uh, Ute wide receiver front. Yeah, well, I'll I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) Okay. Well, you watch the storyline coming out of UCAMP this year will again be, well, they have receivers this year, even though they lost their best ones to the transfer (laughs) portal, right? Yeah, we'll see. All right, more next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.